Please be seated. Good to see you again. Yeah, I'd like you to do something for a minute. And if it helps you to close your eyes, if it helps you to bow your head, um, feel free to do that. But I want you to just take a minute and just shut out distractions. And I want you to just focus your thoughts on God. That's a good thing to do in church, right? <laughs> just focus your thoughts on God. And, and I just got a couple questions for you as you're in that moment, as you're just focusing your thoughts on God. The first question is this. What are some of the words that come to your mind that describe God to you? Words that you think would cover his character and your relationship, describe your relationship with him and how you experience him. What are some of the words that maybe come to your mind? Maybe loving, caring, merciful, just, strong, present. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's absent, mean, unfair, uncaring. Just think about those words. And now I want to push on that a little bit and challenge you to do a little bit more creative work. I want you to think about an image, a concept, a metaphor, an analogy that you think best captures your thoughts and feelings about God and who he is in your life. What kind of analogy, concept come to your mind? Is he a rock? Is he like a parent, a teacher? Is he kind of like a heavenly yard duty who's just waiting to blow the whistle on you? Or is he a judge? Is he this gentle, caring grandfather? Just think about that for a second. So as you were doing that, a lot of what shapes our thoughts and feelings about God are the things we've experienced in our life. Our life's circumstances, good and bad. But here's what we know about God. Regardless of our highs and lows, regardless of even how we feel about God, He's real, He's involved in our lives, and He loves you, and He cares for you, and provides for you. But the main question, and I want to anchor this question in the forefront of your mind for the rest of our time, for like the next half hour, okay? The main question I want to just really echo in your mind is this. Do you recognize and embrace your dependency on God in such a way that you ultimately trust Him? Like, ask yourself that. Do I recognize and embrace my dependency on God in such a way that no matter what goes on in my life, highs or lows, ultimately, when all the dust settles, I trust Him? You know, I know of a man who had a lot of highs and lows in his life. Things that he experienced. Wealth, popularity, success, victory over opposition and adversarial people. He had several heroic moments in his life. He has experienced the joy of family and good friendships and has had a lot of love and support in his life. Those are a lot of highs that he's had. But he's also had a lot of lows and hardships, unhealthy marriages. Yeah, plural, marriages. Committed adultery, loss of his wealth, abuse of a leadership position that he had. He experienced homelessness. He had several of his children die. Uh, his best friend was killed. And he was betrayed by people that, know, that, that once were close to him and made a lot of enemies. This guy made a lot of enemies. Some of them even wanted him dead and wouldn't mind doing the job themselves. And there's this moment when this man focuses his thoughts and feelings on God and he creates and writes down this example, this metaphor, this analogy, this concept 
of who God is to him. And the concept was that of a shepherd. And that's probably the last clue that some of you know that need to have uh, for who this person is. And if you know his name, you can say it with me. His name is David. About a, born about 1000 BC, young shepherd boy who ended up becoming the second king of Israel, King David. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 23 where David paints this picture of God as his shepherd. And this is going to be one of six messages in this new teaching series we're calling Soul Care. And all of us are pretty uh, intuitive and understand the value of self-care, right? Hygiene, eating, and exercising, you know, eating right, exercising, life-giving relationships, healthy relationships, healthy choices. But the most important part of self-care is actually soul care. Now, the word soul in the original Hebrew in the text we're looking at is the word nefesh in the Hebrew. If you want to just kind of try on and expand your Hebrew vocabulary, say nefesh. Yeah, let me hear it. Let me hear a good nefesh. Yeah, that's good. That's good. You sound like a bunch of Hebrew scholars, okay? And so the word nefesh used in the Old Testament of the Bible has, has a lot of broad meanings, but the most narrow of meanings is that we are nefesh as a living being, okay? Also our inner being, our soul, our nefesh, the operating system, if you will, that runs our life. And God alone is the source of vitality for our nefesh, for our souls. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to revive our souls because we are vulnerable and we're prone to weakness and fatigue as we navigate through life's temptations and life's trials. And this series will help us see what a soul, a nefesh, dependent on God looks like. Because a lot of us have already experience and can testify that when you look for worth and meaning when you look for you know soul food in this world it leaves you unsatisfied neglected even abused but in christ god offers you a relationship where your soul is fed and nourished and cared for now all six messages in the series are going to be from the book of psalms the psalms are a fascinating book of the bible it's a compiled collection of poems and songs from God's people from several different authors, all spanning about a thousand years. So when you open up the book of Psalms in your Bible, you've got a thousand years of songs that God has compiled through several authors. And it's timeless, and it's intimate. And Psalms is primarily seen or heard in times of deep need to connect with God. So we're going to be starting in Psalm 23. Now, Psalm 23 is a fascinating psalm because not only is it the most well-known psalm, it can arguably be the most well-known passage of Scripture in all history. Some of you are going like, well, what about John 3.16? Well, no, people know about John 3.16. It's especially uh, important for Christians. But Jewish people, people that practice Islam, a lot of people know about Psalm 23, even unbelievers who've attended funerals, right? Because it's written on all the programs and it's usually quoted and memorized because it's a, it's a psalm of comfort. And so may arguably be the most well-known Bible passage in all the world and all of history. But there's so much more there than just a psalm of comfort when you've experienced loss. That's a beautiful part of Psalm 23, but there's so much more there. And this psalm paints a powerful picture of a person who recognizes and embraces their dependence on God and in such a way that ultimately he trusts him. 
So I invite you to open up your Bibles to Psalm 23 or fire up your Bible apps to Psalm 23. And again, I want you to think of that question in the forefront of your mind as we go through Psalm 23. Do I recognize and embrace my dependency on God in such a way that ultimately I trust Him? So Psalm 23, let's read through this together. Uh, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Would you read that one line with me? He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley, the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are what? With me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And when God's people hear something that really resonates with them, they say, Amen. Amen. Psalm 23 is what we would say what to? Amen. And what I want to do is I want to engage this psalm in two parts. The first part I want to spend a little bit of time on because there's value here. I want to help us understand the imagery and the language of Psalm 23 a little better. The second part is kind of go back through briefly understanding some of the meaning and personal application. Now the first part is this. We want to understand the language and imagery of Psalm 23 because this was written in an ancient Hebrew context from a shepherding mindset. So a lot of the pictures that our mind tries to capture or bring to pass in our mind's eye aren't accurate. They, they miss some depth and meaning. I want to try to draw that out a little bit. So let's just start and move through it. Let's look at the first part. The Lord is my shepherd. Well, who's the Lord? The word Lord there, when you look at the original language, is the word Jehovah. Jehovah means the existing one. It's the formal name of the one true God. And so uh, this name is so holy that even in the Hebrew, the, the, the scribes do not even write this name. You see a lot of blanks, or they leave out the O, all these kinds of things. So this is Jehovah, the one true God. He's our shepherd. God is our shepherd. And so David is applying the metaphor of this imagery of shepherd to God as a shepherd, which means part of that personal imagery for David is that if the Lord's a shepherd, he's basically admitting that he is a what? Sheep. (laughs) He's a sheep that follows this shepherd. Now David... Uh, understands all this language very personally because he was raised as a shepherd boy in Bethlehem. He knows all about shepherding. And David is connecting the eastern shepherd's care, practices, and behavior of sheep to the way that he experiences God's care for him. God's a shepherd. David is the sheep. And it's very appropriate to illustrate people like sheep. Uh, Sheep are stubborn, Sheep are pretty helpless and harmless. I have not yet met anyone who said, man, had a rough run in with a sheep the other day. It really beat me up. They're pretty harmless, and they're not too bright. Sheep need shepherding. Just a couple examples to to, to make that a reality. Uh, One case from back in 2005, uh, there was a large gathering of shepherds in Turkey. And all these Turkish shepherds brought their flocks together, about 1,500 sheep. And they went and sat over, not too far away, having lunch, and the sheep were grazing. And one, how many? One sheep started wandering away from all the other sheep, eating, and the other sheep started to follow it as the shepherds were having lunch. 
And eventually the sheep came to the edge of a cliff and ended up jumping over the cliff. All, all 1,500 sheep jumped after it. That's crazy. Google it. It's real, okay? And um, 450 of them died. And this is kind of sad and humorous at the same time. Uh, the reason the others didn't die is because as all the sheep landed, because of all the wool, the other ones just kind of, it's like landing on a pile of Q-tips, you know? So 450 died. That's a lot of sheep, you know, a lot of damage. But that, that's how dumb sheep can be. In case you need another example, let me just show you a quick video. This has been going around the last couple weeks. Some of you have seen this. I know I posted it. Um, this is another example of just how dumb sheep can be. Let's watch this video. Sheep is stuck. Free! Woohoo! And back in. And, and watch this, slow motion. Look how much joy and confidence this sheep has as he decides to just jump over the trench. <laughs> oh, man. Like, that's, that's sad and hilarious. A lot of you are going, that's me, right? That's me. I mean, I, I repeat my mistakes like that sheep did. And so we know that the Lord is the shepherd, as David is saying. We're the sheep. And then he says this, he says, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. I want to come back to that in a little bit. He continues on, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me besides still waters. A couple things. Um, he makes me lie down. This is not language saying that the, that the shepherd forces. Some people have taught that. That's not really accurate, okay? Nor is it accurate that a lot of times the picture that comes to our mind when we think of green pastures. When we read this verse, a lot of times what we'll see posted on memes and pictures is all of a sudden we're in Ireland, right? And we've got lush green pasture as far as the eye can see, like a picture here. Like this is a lot of times, oh, this is the pasture that the Lord brings me to. Well, well you can argue, yes, the Lord does this in our life. But this is not the imagery that David has. The imagery that David has is this. This is the Judean wilderness, most shepherding done in the Middle East is done in the Judean wilderness because there's not a lot of areas where there's lush green crops. And where you do have lush green crops, you don't want the sheep grazing because they'll destroy the crops. And so all the shepherding takes place in barren areas and wilderness areas. And it's kind of like a game with the kids, like I spy green and you have to look for it, right? You see the little bit of green bushes and shrubs? Guess what that is? Green pasture. It's not exactly the imagery that comes to our mind. And so if you get a little bit closer look, you see these sheep grazing among uh, this. This is green pasture. Like this is as good as it gets, okay? That's the image. Why? Because the, the grass grows, these shrubs, these, they, they grow up from the rocks in the desert and the, the shepherd has to lead the sheep to go find it. They can't find it on their own. That's why it says he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. Same thing with the water sources. You don't just have water everywhere. There's certain wells you have to go to to draw water from and pour into a trough, or there's certain still bodies of water because sheep are kind of skittish. They won't drink from running water typically. And so they have to find still water for the sheep to drink that's not going to poison them or there's going to be enough for the sheep they have. And so the sheep are so dependent on the shepherd to lead them to the, to the green pastures and to the still waters. Now, the word still waters literally means waters of rest. 
So this language isn't just about the shepherd providing food and water for the sheep. It's the result of what happens when the sheep have food and water. This is that makes me lie down. When a sheep is able to graze and be full and able to drink and be full, guess what they want to do? Lay down. Why? Because they're at rest. They're at peace. They feel secure. And that's the nature. So this psalm is about the shepherd providing in such a way that it produces a restfulness and a peacefulness in our life as we trust the shepherd. Another result of that is that he restores my soul, as David says. Now, the word restores... Uh, it's very appropriate to understand this word is like reviving and refreshing our soul. That is, that is true. But a, a deeper understanding of what is said here and what is meant here is that the, the shepherd helps restore the, the, the sheep. He brings them back. These sheep are notorious for wandering. And when they wander, they wander away from food. They wander away from water. And then the shepherd has to go and restore them. <laughs> back to where they're taken care of. Here's a, all these pictures are authentic from Israel and all this. So here's a, an older picture of a shepherd who's got that sheep on his shoulders, bringing him to the water. Why? Because that poor sheep needs to be restored back to the shepherd's care, back to the flock. Because when a sheep wanders away, it endangers its life because of the predators that are out there, whether, whether it's a hole in the ground or a wolf lying in wait for a random sheep. But not only that, when a sheep wanders, it no longer is under the care of the shepherd. And that becomes a life-threatening situation for a sheep as well. Another example of that, in 2015, there was a sheep that wandered away from the flock and was gone for six years. Meet Chris, all right? I don't know why, I'm sorry for anyone who's named Chris in the room or online, but they named the sheep Chris. This was Chris when he was found after being gone wandering for six years. And all that wool that had grown on him, when they sheared it off, came up to 88 pounds. So this sheep was literally in a place where as that wool continued to grow, the, its breathing is impacted, its ability to eat is impacted, its ability to run away from predators, um, its ability to even stand up. Like the likelihood of it just falling over and actually not being able to get back up even. Like this is a life endangering situation for Chris. Now when they sheared Chris, he looked much better. Here's a picture of Chris in a much happier state. But here's the situation. When we wander, when the sheep wander away from the care of the shepherd, it's endangered, and so he needs to restore it back, bring it back. And when he does, he leads me, he says, David says here, in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Here's another uh, visual epiphany. Now, the word righteousness here is a Hebrew word, sedek, and it means rightness or righteousness. What it means is that when a sheep is left to wander off by itself, it takes paths that will lead it down wrong or dangerous areas. Or if a sheep grazes without any direction, it'll start to graze in a pattern in such a way that it kind of gets into a rut and won't leave the rut. And a lot of times these sheep graze, and when they graze, instead of just eating the top of the grass, the top of the bush, and leaving the roots so that it will grow back that you can return to, they will eat the root as well, leaving a barren wasteland if left uncared for. And so one of the greatest responsibilities of a, sheep, um, uh, of a shepherd in this context is that the shepherd has to keep the sheep on the move, always moving. 
and just feeding it what it needs in a moment along the way. And so this is a picture of what you will often find in Israel is you see these lines of sheep. They're following the shepherd on this mountainside. So imagine them trying to do that without him, right? It's not going to go well, okay? And so they're following him. And as they're following him, here's what happens. Look at this next picture. You see all these lines on the side of this hill? Guess what that is? That's paths of righteousness. Those are paths that the sheep have carved into the hills as the shepherd has led them in movement looking for food and grazing so they don't get stuck and they don't destroy a hill. And then they'll come back. Those lines right there have been there for hundreds of years, some even thousands. Hundreds and thousands of years of shepherds in the Middle East taking their flocks all over the hills. You find them there all the time. People are like, oh, sedimentary lines. Oh, it's the layers of the water. Nope, sheeps wandering all over the hillside. So these are the paths of righteousness. And those paths, you see those paths, it's a reminder of how often the shepherd is leading the sheep to get what it needs in a way that's going to care for it. It's a path of righteousness, of rightness. Now we know there's a deeper meaning to that, but this is the imagery that David is using. And this leading in the path of righteousness is for the reputation of this shepherd. It's for his name's sake. Basically meaning this. When you find a sheep alive in the Middle East, it's because the shepherd took care of it. it. The sheep gets no credit for keeping itself alive. It's the shepherd's doing. And so if a shepherd doesn't take care of sheep, the reputation goes down the hill, you know, but if they're good, then the reputation of the shepherd is great. The reason that David is saying, God leads me on this path of righteousness for his name's sake is God always takes care of me. He keeps me on the move. He gives me what I need when I need it. He gets all the credit. It's for his name's sake. And then he goes to a different place. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I love what David does here. You guys are picking up on it. There's a change in personal pronouns. David just shifted from talking about God as shepherd to talking to God as shepherd. Now he's saying, because you are with me. Now he talks about this valley of the shadow of death. Let's unpack that a little bit because there's, again, some visual imagery that will help us with that. Now, one of the questions maybe you've never asked yourself is, how did the sheep get into the valley in the first place? If sheep are in this valley that has life-threatening situations in it, how did it get there? And some of you might be thinking, well, it's just that lone sheep that kind of wanders off. True, that can happen, but that's not the context here. The context here is that David is following the shepherd. The sheep are in the valley because the shepherd led them there led them into the valley why would a good shepherd lead sheep into a ravine into a valley especially when you know that that's where danger lurks because in the cleft of the hills there's wolves there's bears there's scorpions there's snakes there's lions and cougars that will want to feast on sheep that the shepherd doesn't see Plus there's holes and the, shepherd, the sheep can break its leg and there's dangerous paths. So why would the shepherd lead it there? One is to get away from a situation that's not beneficial for the sheep and to take them to someplace that's better. Sometimes I know that in order to get to the next field of green pasture, they've got to get in and through the valley to get to the other side. And a lot of times the valley that comes to mind here is what we would know as a wadi. W-A-D-I, a wadi. A wadi is a, is a riverbed that's been cut out over the years and creates this valley. And so this is a shepherd that if you look really carefully behind him, a bunch of sheep are following in a wadi. What's at the bottom of the wadi? What colors do you see? 
Green and blue. Guess what's at the bottom of the wadi? Grass and water. Why? Because the river, the water's down there, so that's where things are going to grow. So sometimes when there's nothing on the barren hills, the shepherd will take them into the valley to take care of them and their needs. Also, in the valley, sometimes there's shade. There'll be these big broom trees that they, they come under for shade that they're not going to find in the hills because when the weather's super hot up on the hills, they need shade, they need rest, they need that safety and security. The shepherd leads them into the valley because he has something in mind that they don't know about that he's taking them through. And what I love about this is as David is reflecting back on all the moments of danger that he's had in his life, he said, I was going through this valley, the death, death was looming, but I wasn't afraid of the evil because you're with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And he's speaking about the tools that are known in the shepherding industry, right? And so the first one we're very commonly known is the, the staff. We believe that these are actually two different tools. And so we're familiar with the staff, the shepherd's crook, that a lot of times is used to guide the sheep. And if they get, you know, kind of pull them in where they need to go and tap on them, and it's got a little bit of a reach to it. Also, the common shepherd's staff is a little taller than this. And so not only do the sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd that might be, uh, you know, who knows how many hundreds of feet front, the staff is really tall, they can see the staff moving. So the staff is for guidance. David is saying, God guides me. Also, he speaks about this club, okay, this rod. The rod is a second instrument. It's a weapon. It's a smaller club that a lot of times would have sharp objects on the end that was a weapon to defend the sheep from all the predators. Here's a picture of a young Israeli boy. He's got a sling, which we know they had a lot of times too, and he's got his rod. And like most young boys, he's showing off his weapons. He's pretty proud of them, right? And so this rod was used to beat off the predators. David's going, God, this is a scary place, but you know what? I'm not afraid of the evil. The evil's there, it's present, but I'm not afraid of it because you're with me, you're guiding me, and you can protect me. And so this is the language that David is using as he's thinking about God and why he has this trust in the Lord. And then he says this in verse 5. He says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. He kind of shifts now to saying, Okay, not only is he one that leads me out in the wilderness, but now he provides for my needs. He hosts me. And the imagery here that you would probably miss is where do sheep in the wilderness typically spend the night, eat their meals, all those kinds of things when they're not out in the open? They have these tents. If you were to go to Israel today, there's less of them, but you have these Bedouin shepherds. And so this is a replica of a, of a Bedouin tent that they would be out in the wilderness because it provides shade and rest. And when you go into the tent, this is what you find. This is covered, it's comfortable. Uh, this is our group from our last study tour um, back in 2019. We're, we're there, we're enjoying refreshment. And you're inside this tent, you're protected from the heat of the sun. And all of a sudden, you're, you're, this hospitality is taking care of you. You're able to rest. And so in the, in the dead heat, these shepherds would come in here and, or they would find another shepherd or someone else that lived out in the area and they would be invited into the tents and this big feast would be made. Like that was the, like you wanted to be known well for your hospitality. So you would make this feast to make sure that these people who are your responsibility now are well cared for. And so they feed you, they give you drink, oil for your head. Like what's that about? Look, they don't have ax spray. They don't have perfume and cologne. They don't have you know, deodorant. There's no shower in the back. 
And so that oil would kind of make them smell better and bring refreshment to them a little bit. And then their cup would run over. It means that this was such a generous host that they had an abundance to offer. And this meal, this feast, was laid out in the presence of enemies. See, whenever someone brought you into their tent, not only did they see it as a responsibility to provide for you, they saw it as a responsibility to protect you. But if your enemies came a-knocking, they would defend your life because you were their guest. And so David is saying, even though there's enemies around me, you pull me in, you made this amazing meal, there's abundance, there's rest, there's peace, and I'm protected and shielded from even the enemies who surround me. It's no wonder then that David said in verse 6, surely, he didn't say maybe, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love this. He's basically coming back to God saying, God's goodness, his mercy, which you look at the word mercy, it's the Hebrew word has said. And what it means is God's faithfulness forever. God's loving kindness. He says, God's has said, his faithfulness, loving kindness, his mercy, and his goodness, they follow me, meaning they pursue him. Look at the picture that David just painted of the shepherd. He goes in front of me and leads me. In the valleys, he's with me. And now he comes up and pursues me and is behind me with his goodness. See why he can trust God, even though he had his highs and lows? And he said, surely these things will take place. And then he spoke about relationship and intimacy, dwelling in the house of the Lord forever, here now and for eternity. This is the imagery, this is the language that David used, that despite all his highs, all his lows, he recognized and he embraced his dependency on God in such a way that he ultimately trusted him. So let's just dig a little deeper and look for some more meaning and personal application. The Lord is my shepherd. Everybody is following somebody. Who are you following? Who is shepherding your life? Some of you would think, well, I'm shepherding my life. I need, I need to give you a newsflash. You cannot be sheep and shepherd at the same time and nor can you shepherd your life. Because we are the sheep that jump in the trench, right? Somebody's like, oh, I can, I can make my own decisions. Okay, let's inventory the decisions of our lives and see how well we really do when we think about left to our best decision-making in moments that have caused harm in our lives. Everybody's following somebody. Who are you following? You're following your friends? You're following the world? You're following your appetite, your, your, your lust, your desires? What are you following? Who's leading you? You were designed to follow after God. And so you are operating outside of your design by your creator when you try to follow someone else other than God. The Lord is designed to be our shepherd. We are to follow him. And if we come into that relationship and as we're trusting the Lord, then we come to a place where we say what's next. I have no want. I have no need. What that literally means right there is I lack nothing. The shepherd provides for my most basic needs, food, shelter, relationship, you know, and if you look at the life of Christ, forgiveness and intimacy with God, all these things can be true of us because we are ones who are following after the Lord as our shepherd. But you can't say that unless you acknowledge that you're a sheep. All this is dependent on you humbly going, I need a shepherd. I lack nothing because I actually have a shepherd who provides for me. You know, Scripture speaks about this in Isaiah 53, 6. He says, All we like sheep have gone astray. 
We've turned everyone to his own way. And he says, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Because we've all gone our own way, that's why God sent Christ. That's why Jesus died on the cross. All of our sins were laid on him. All our wayward wanderings were laid on him on the cross because we like sheep go astray. 1 Peter 2.25 says, For you were strained like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. God brings you back. He restores your soul. I like what theologian Charles Spurgeon says about this. He says, There's a certain confession necessary before a man can join in these words. We must feel that there's something in us which is akin to the sheep. We must acknowledge that in some measure we exactly resemble it or else we cannot call God our shepherd. I think the first apprehension we shall have if the Lord has brought us into this condition is this. We shall be conscious of our own folly. We shall feel how unwise we always are. A sheep is one of the most unwise of creatures. It will go anywhere except in the right direction. It will leave a fat pasture to wander into a barren one. It will find out many ways, but not the right way. (laughs) And so as we say, the Lord is my shepherd, as I follow him as a sheep, it's at that point we go, I shall not be in want. I shall lack nothing. That phrase, I shall not be in want, is both a declaration and a decision. You declare that all your needs are supplied by God as your shepherd. And you decide that it's not your desire to want more than what the Lord gives you. And the reason that's hard for us to say, I lack nothing, is because we live in a culture that says, you need everything. You need to buy this, and 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 buy this. You're lacking. And God's going, you're not lacking. I've given you everything you need. And so what happens is, instead of trying to have our need met, we, ha- we try to have our greed met. That's what happens when we wander. Philip Keller is a man who's an Australian shepherd. He wrote a good little book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. On this I shall not want peace. This is what he said. A contented sheep in the fold has rest and everything it needs. Some sheep are not content. I once owned a ewe who conducted exactly the typified sort of person. She was restless, discontent, a fence crawler. This one you produced more problems for me than almost the entire flock combined. No matter what field or pasture the sheep were in, she would <clears throat> search all along the fence looking for a loophole that she could crawl through and start to feed on the other side. It was not that she lacked pasture. There was no sheep in the district that had better grazing. It was a sufficient problem to find her and bring her back. Plus she started leading others in the same wrong paths. And this is what he said. She goes, she was a sheep who in spite of all that I had done to give her the very best care, still wanted something else. I had to butcher her. (laughs) Well, you can probably separate the metaphor there from the Lord at some point, you know, but... (laughs) Guys, that's us. God has given us all we need. All we need. And we're the fence crawlers, looking for more, looking for something else. At what point does God go, I've given you all you need. What more can I do? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He restores my soul. God revives and refreshes your soul as you are in relationship with him. This is exactly what many of you need to hear today because you're fatigued and you're discouraged. Come back to the Lord your shepherd, let him revive your soul. This is exactly what some of you need to hear because you've wandered off. And you are out there and you are vulnerable. And it's not that you might, it's not that it can happen, you will 
suffer consequences in your life from not being under your shepherd's care. You're going to have harm to your life. And so let him restore you back to himself. Let him restore you back to who he is. That's why God sent Jesus, the rescue mission, to come and restore us back to himself through the cross, the death of our sins, through the resurrection for forgiveness. And Jesus isn't just our shepherd anymore. He's the good shepherd, right? That's what he said about himself in John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He sacrifices for our welfare. Jesus sacrificed himself for your welfare so that you could be his own. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. I hope that all of you in this room and those of you watching online have come to that place where you've surrendered your life to Christ and now you're following him. If you've never done that, it's really kind of a threefold step. This, this kind of can help you. You admit that you're a sinner, that you're a lost sheep that needs a shepherd. You believe in Christ. You believe that he's God in the flesh, that he came to die on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave to give you forgiveness and relationship with himself. And then you commit to following him as his sheep the rest of your life. If you've never done that, just tell him that, Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. I'm a lost sheep that needs a shepherd. I believe in Christ. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose from the grave. And commit your life to following him. That's what you need to do. And for those of us who know the Lord, we still need to be restored back so that we can walk on these paths of righteousness. God has predetermined paths for us to walk in that will benefit us, not harm us. Yet we're determined to go on all these other paths that are going to harm us. All those paths of righteousness, right? Worn into the hills for hundreds and thousands of years. And here we have God's words that have been around for hundreds and thousands of years. Here's the paths of righteousness. You want to know which way to walk? Here you go. This is what he's given us. To walk in this. For his name's sake, to make his name known. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come from me. Remember, what David was saying is that he wasn't removed from the presence of evil. He was just no longer afraid of the evil because the shepherd was with him. It's really interesting to listen to a lot of Christians right now freak out about evil. It hurts our heart. It hurts to see and hear all the evil that this world is still subjugated to at this moment. God's going to fix that. It's going to be restored. A lot of Christians are like afraid of evil. But the shepherd's with us. Though we walk through, not around, through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't stop there. It's not your destination. You're going through it. You're not going to fear the evil because Christ is with you. He's watching over you. He's going to protect you. He's going to guide you. And as you do that, you come to this place where there's this table prepared in the presence of your enemies. This is where Jesus is so different than the average shepherd. The average shepherd is not going to let the sheep into the tent to eat with him. He's going to stay outside the tent. What does Jesus do? He invites you in to dine with him, to the feast he's prepared. And then all your enemies, fear, death, sin, he prepares his goodness in front of them. And you can rest and you can have peace because he's going to protect you. That's what the gospel brings to our information. And then we can echo David. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of life. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus goes before you and guides you. He's with you in the valley. He's going to come behind you and pursue you with his goodness and pursue you with his faithfulness forever. See, if you really, really understand the imagery, you really, really understand all that's being said here, and this is really a drop in the bucket. There's so much more. You can wring this out even more. If you really do that, you come to a place, you go, 
man, I absolutely recognize my dependency on God. And I embrace it. I need it. And despite my highs and lows, I trust God. I trust God. That was our goal today as we start this series. Grow in our confidence and trust of the one who cares for your soul the most, your nefesh the most. And so do you recognize and embrace your dependency on God in such a way that you ultimately trust him? Some application steps. If you've never come to Christ, just tell the Lord, ABC, admit that you're a sinner, believe in Christ, commit to following him. If you do that, please let us know so we can celebrate that with you and walk with you. If you're here on site, we'll have a couple people in the foyer that you can just see. If you see a yellow tag, just say, I want to give my life to Christ. We'd love to help you take the next step. If you're online, you can just text the word believe. I believe in Christ. And we'll uh, have a live person get in touch with you to help you take your next step. For those of us who know the Lord, here's a couple ways we can apply what we just talked about. One, the sheep learn to trust the shepherd because they spend time with him and see his faithfulness and his provision. Some of you are struggling with everything we've talked about today because you're just not spending time with the shepherd. You're not in God's word. You're not in prayer. You're not in Christian fellowship. And so you are missing out on all the lessons of trust God has for you. Start spending more time with the shepherd. Get in the word. Pray. Get with Christians who are trying to do the same. Also, in the moments of deep temptation or discouragement, literally pray Psalm 23. Open it up. Memorize it. Pray it back to God. Lord, you're my shepherd. I lack nothing with you in my life. You can even pray specific things like, Lord, I I lack nothing. I'm satisfied. I I don't see what you're doing right now, but I'm just going to trust you and follow you. I don't know why I'm in this valley, but I'm just going to trust you and follow you. All these kinds of things are ways that we can turn back to the Lord and just walk in trust. That's what we have today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Psalm 23. It's just even more there, but God, I pray that you took this time that we had and you carved a path of righteousness in our hearts to follow on so that we can graze on the green pastures that you have, follow you to the still waters, follow you in such a way that when we're in a place where we're intimidated, scared, we feel your presence, we know that we're protected. Death has been defeated by the cross. Sin has been defeated by the cross. We have no reason to fear. So help us to say and pray a lot of what we've heard today. Help us to embrace, recognize, and trust you with all our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. We all said together.